couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another that's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. Hey, welcome back to Wheel of Randy number one randy newman podcast in the world whether you're a randy super fan are new to his work or just know the hits we hope this is a place where you can come and learn a little bit more about the man himself my name's dan wade and i'm your host wheel of randy is a part of the good trash media podcast network and is brought to you by wade engineering Wait, that's my last name. That's weird. Let's start the show. It's Wheel of Randy. We've got Al Riggs with us today. Thanks for coming, Al. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, our mutual friend, Michael Ross, introduced you to me uh, a couple of months ago. He said, uh, my friend Al is doing a, a live performance of the entire Sail Away album. So I was like, okay, this is someone I need to get to know. Uh, yeah, that was a few months ago. Yeah, I met uh, I met Michael uh, a couple years ago when my band was touring uh, with the Mountain Goats, and we uh, went to Tulsa on one of the nights we played uh, Kane's Ballroom, which was one of my favorite nights of the tour yeah. because Kane, because Kane's has a barbecue joint connected to it. And uh, they have, they, I had the best barbecue chicken I've ever had in my life still to this day. Uh, See, nor- o- normally when someone from Carolina talks barbecue, they, they start talking about how we do it wrong. In <laughs> so I'm not, I, I'm someone without a country when it comes to barbecue. I'm not a huge fan of how we do it here. Uh, and I'm not a huge fan of loose barbecue, just like a, just a plate of meat. I like something with a little bit more structure and I'm not a big vinegar person. Mm. So I get verbally abused every time it comes up in conversation, but that, that chicken was incredible. I remember, um, I think it was like before we went on. So like the house music is playing and we're on in like 15 minutes and I'm hunched over. There's not really a table in that whole room. So I'm hunched over uh, a little side table with a lamp on it, just like devouring this chicken, like a caveman. (laughs) Just like, I have to, I have to eat this and I have to eat this now. Uh, But, uh, you're gonna be all sentimental about canes because <laughs> you know, oh yeah of course i'm uh, ready for it to get back open someday i would love to come back and michael was really great michael was uh uh super kind and just one of the big supporters we had during the tour just tweeting about it and letting people know uh especially with uh lauren uh he was incredibly impressed by Lauren and I'm uh, very impressed by Lauren as a uh, recorder and a producer and a guitar player. So uh, he was a great friend to make, make on tour. I'm lucky to know it. 
So speaking of music, you've got a record coming out. Well, it just came out, actually. Yeah, at the time of the recording, it's not out yet. But uh, when this comes out, it'll be out called uh, Bile and Bone, which is... Uh, Wait, say Bile and Bone. Correct. Uh, it's an album I made with uh, Lauren, uh, Lauren Francis, who uh, recorded and produced it and played a whole bunch of stuff all over the record, and that's why it sounds good. Is there a, is there a uh, overrunning theme to, to the album? What, how would you describe um, it? I, I wanted to write and record an album that sounded really beautiful, but also uh, had some kind of a challenge for a listener to actually press play because the album is called Bile and Bone to begin with. Uh, but also the it gives artwork. You a Tom Waits flavor right away, yeah. A little bit. And uh, all the artwork for it uh, by uh, Cameron Lucente. Uh, or Lucent. I got to learn how to pronounce his last name. I feel like I'm being an asshole. Uh, uh, all the artwork he did, uh, which I commissioned, is a bunch of hunky wear people. So when you've got this, like, really kind of, I'm not going to say graphic, but like, is very sexual front cover with this orc where where person and i wanted it to be kind of like a hump to get over and then you actually press play and the music is fairly pleasant it's a fairly uh smooth listen i've been told uh but we're really proud of it and i'm really excited to be putting it out very good and that that's available on bandcamp i noticed yeah uh we will plug that a couple more times before we uh, before we close today. Uh, so, are you from Carolina originally? Yeah, um, I was uh, was born in Cary, and then we kind of moved all over the place. Uh, my family uh, eventually settled down in Apex. I moved to Greensboro for a few years, and then I moved back here, and now I live in Durham with my fiance who at the, at the time of this recording is my fiancé, but by the time this is out, we'll be married. Oh, my goodness. That's... Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, it's, it's kind of become a joke because uh, I'm worried about offending him with this joke, but uh, the joke is that on our calendar, uh, Bile and Bone comes out on the 18th, and it's written in big letters and everything. And then the very next day is our wedding, and it just says wedding in the tiniest font imaginable. <laughs> um, trying not to get divorced immediately before getting married. So, <laughs> Well, that way it's also easy to remember your anniversary. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah it's the day oh. after Ball and Bone came out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and three days before I hit it big on the wheel of Randy. Mm -hmm. So how... You said you toured with the Mountain Goats. You know, how, how long have you how long have you been been in the music biz? Um, it's it's a weird question because I still don't consider myself part of the music biz. Uh, That's the I've, right answer. First off, yeah. <laughs> um, I've been recording music and putting it up online for about ten years now. Uh, there's a whole bunch of music. A lot of it I had to take down from band camp and make private just just to make just to give the illusion that there's some kind of 
structure to how the band camp looks, but there's days of music that are being now being hidden from the general public just to make this look a little less insane looking. Right. Uh, but, but I've been making music for 10 years now, which is a weird thing to say. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been fun and it's been a slow, it's been a slow rise to even a modicum of popularity, which I am now, but I'm very grateful for. But, uh, Carolina is weird like that. North Carolina is really weird like that. Musicians kind of flock here. There's tons of well-known people that just kind of exist here. And it's a weird scene to exist along with them because you will sometimes be walking down the street and you will see like this weird indie rock dude and he's getting a salad and you're not really used to that. (laughs) You never really get used to seeing people who you admire, you admired for a long time sitting down and eating a salad or, or, uh, chasing after their dog down the street. It's still kind of a shock, but it's a pleasant shock. I, I lived in Austin for a couple of years and, and, and got, got just, just a taste of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. You got like the big, you got the big time version of that. I, li- I, I but Austin is, well, I'm not going to talk about Austin in the nineties because then I'll sound <laughs> like a disgruntled Austin old timer talking about how the city isn't the same. But. The city isn't the same. <laughs> no, I, 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 I've been in Oklahoma City now for, gosh, coming up on 25 years, and it's a quiet life. The only, the only things I knew about Oklahoma City and Tulsa growing up was that the Flaming Lips are from Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and they shot UHF in Tulsa. They did. Michael can take you on the UHF tour. <laughs> he knows exactly where Spatula City is. UHF came out when I was probably 16, and my, my sister took me, and everyone else was in line for Batman, and we just sailed into screen number two, and we're the only ones there from UHF. What an unfortunate weekend for that movie to be put out, because it was the same year... I think it was the same year as uh, like as Batman, and I think Ghostbusters was around the same time, and Gremlins I think was the same year. I might be off by a couple of years, but what a unfortunate time for that movie to be pushed into theaters to die. <laughs> uh, he talks about how he he single handedly you know, destroyed Orion Pictures. Basically, I mean, Orion, uh, there's a there's another podcast I listen to uh, called Blank Check where they go through filmographies. And they were talking about uh, uh, Jonathan Demme's filmography and how he put out Silence of the Lambs. And when I rewatched it, I forgot that Silence of the Lambs was distributed by Orion. It was like their last big like dying gasp, like a death rattle of trying to hold on. And it was the biggest movie in years. And then pretty much after uh, Signs of the Lands came out, it was done. It was completely done until it came back like a couple of years ago, which is weird. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, they're back. They started like uh, distributing uh, a few smaller things. And now they're like 
back back. So everything old is new again. I guess. All right. I talked about Austin changing. I haven't been to Carolina since 95. Cool. I was three years old. And, you know, it was still, you know, Jesse, Jesse Helms still held sway. And uh, you, you could tell that, that, you know, that exciting things were happening. We really enjoyed, you know, visiting. You know, I, I went to Chapel Hill to look at school and, and my wife was looking at Durham at the same time. So, you know, the college communities were, 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 were great. But I've heard that, that North Carolina is really, you know, coming of its own. Um, I've heard that Asheville has, has really taken off. And mm-hmm. you know, how much has it changed just in your experience? I, I don't consider – I'm not an expert on uh, class, and I'm not an expert on uh, especially the city that I live in because I live in Durham and I love Durham and I've been living here for a few years now. It's the first city that I've lived in where I feel like I'm part of something. It feels like I'm part of a community. But the downside to that is that I'm white and there are black people and people of color who have been living here for decades who are because of people like me and richer people than me, but still people like me Mm -hmm. that are displacing them and are kind of pushing them out. And I'm not an expert on how it's changed. There's a lot of good that I see in Durham, but it's Durham is also one of those cities that I've likened to an amorphous blob where there's no real transition between, uh, I mean, there's obvious breaks uh, when it comes to seeing one area of town versus the other, but there's no real transition between any of the areas. You're driving through something that's, really built up and uh, boring looking and gray and uh, kind of faux urban, uh, very gentrified area. You could be driving five minutes through there and then automatically be in a uh, older looking uh, suburb area. And you can drive through min- three minutes from there in any direction. You'll be in like a more rundown uh, part of town. So I've always liked that about Durham, but I do understand that's also kind of the problem with, uh, with Durham is that it's changing in a way it's it's continuing to change quickly and it's changing in a way that is not really helpful or good, uh, for a, a majority of people here. So it's weird. It's an arty city. It's always been kind of an arty city. Um, the, uh, of course, uh, Merge Records is down here. Um, tons of, you know, great little restaurants and everything, but living here does come with that caveat in the background that you never really feel like that you should be here. And I don't feel like that I should be here, but I enjoy living here. So it's, if you... If you do live here and if you do move to Durham, it's important to understand where your place is and how you can help people. So that's something that I've been much more trying to become attuned towards uh, lately. If I, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling right now. I've never really oh, sat down and thought about it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's complicated. I like living here, but it's complicated. 
Speaking of Durham, you've brought a song to the table yes. that mentions Durham. Yes. Tell, tell the nice people what Randy song you've brought to us today. So I spun the proverbial wheel and uh, chosen uh, a newer song, which I don't know if anyone else has chosen something this recent yet. Um, One other, yeah. Uh, I chose The Great Debate from uh, Randy's album Dark Matter, which came out a few years ago. And uh, one, oh. of his best, one of his best songs, I think. Audience, take, I normally say take a few minutes, take quite a few minutes to listen to The Great Debate. Yeah, it's an like, it's eight-minute song. Uh, it is first track off Dark Matter. You can follow the link uh, on our Twitter page at Wheel of Randy. Uh, and once you've done that, uh, Al and I will tell you what you've just listened to. <laughs> Campdown races sing this song. Do da, do da. All right, we're back. Yeah, this, wow, this is a long one and this yeah. is a, a tough one. Um, we, we, we're, we're used to, to Randy having unreliable narrators and it's almost like we have two or three unreliable narrators yeah. back and forth on this. Uh, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, this album came out and I ended up, I was writing for a publication called Resonator. And uh, there's a review of this album that I did uh, that maybe we could like put in the link or whatever well, after great, I find yeah. it. Um, but I remember talking a lot about the great debate and how it's kind of a brilliant song. And now that I think about it now, it's kind of a song about Randy Newman songs because it, so how do you want, how do you want to do this? How, how, how do we dissect this? How does this go? Well, let, let, let's start with kind of a plot summary that we have sure. this, uh, this, uh, you know, evolution debate being hosted and it's not being hosted in good faith would you say it's fair to say yes i yes it is fair to say that it's not really being done with the uh best intentions yeah. and we have uh, a lot of the uh, arguments if, if if my locals have ever had the the pleasure of driving by the Answers in Genesis Museum in downtown Oklahoma City, uh, you'll know the spirit of, of, of the argument that, that we've got here. Um, you know, very, very flimsy arguments disproving uh, you know, dark matter and, and evolution. Um, we don't know. You don't know what it is. We don't know where it is. And you can't get any. So does it even exist? Right. Is what the narrator of the song kind of implies or not not necessarily implies the, the so the narrator of the song is kind of a ringleader uh uh it's supposed to be a uh moderator that's the word i was looking for a moderator between two sides it's the side of science versus the side of religion and it's fair to say from at least the first minute and a half that you could automatically tell what side this guy is playing for, even though he's trying to remain, you know, fair and balanced to, uh, 
to borrow a term. <laughs> he introduces all, all of these experts and, and insults them in every way that, that he, he, he can, can come up with, mm-hmm. calling them short or, or too good looking a lady to be in science or, uh, or how they were an expensive panel. Uh, and does it uh, for the purpose of uh, you know, riling up the, the the community of faith? Yes. To 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 give a a moral certainty, and to give the, this attitude of, um, hey, they're the ones who are trying to brainwash folks, not us. Exactly. Well, it almost feels like not not really just in. Uh, to rile up the group of people. It also feels like the goal here is to just embarrass people who fight for logic and reason, the scientific community. It almost feels like he brought them on just to insult them and just to make any of their arguments sound stupid, even though the arguments, and we can get into this. I mean, these are all straw man arguments. These are all, these are not arguments that are being made in good faith. They're being, they're being made just to eventually lead the other person to say something that could be picked apart and twisted around to turn into their downfall. And, you know, anyone who's been on the internet for more than five minutes has written, has ran into people like this. Oh, sure. They, uh, uh, not only can you find them on the internet, but the the algorithms are tweaked so that this is the kind of stuff you find first. Correct, and th- they and they will find you first as well. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know if I know there is a Randy Newman account on Twitter. I'm going. I'll bet dollars to donuts he's not running the account. It is definitely an assistant is definitely an intern because right. most of the tweet, the tweets are all like promo yeah. tweets and tweets yeah, about shows. CBS tonight, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it feels like he understands not, not Twitter because I don't think he's giving, he wants to give Twitter the credit for inventing this kind of behavior it is more a type of behavior that is fostered in small communities uh, you know, church leaders, cult leaders, uh, quote unquote journalists mm-hmm. who, who are more personality than anything else, um, who lead through emotion more than anything. And I think that he understands how these debates happen. And unfortunately, he understands that the sides of reason and logic very rarely make it out as the winner. I, I like how, um, especially the man who describes dark matter, uh, has no stage presence at all. Exactly. Stand, stand up to the mic, please. Oh, you are standing. <laughs> yeah. And then just kind of uh, drones on and on about dark matter with, with very mm-hmm. little enthusiasm. Um, which I see, I, I, I am moderately involved in, in the climate change communi- uh, communications community. Mm-hmm. And I see over and over again 
uh, these you know, boring professors in tweed jackets thinking, oh, I'll just you know, give a, a five-minute lecture and, 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 and win these people over. And, and you know, it, just, it just can't compete with the enthusiasm that, that Randy's character has. It's the, it's the enthusiasm and the confidence of an idiot. It's the confidence of someone who, note, but I don't know, I wouldn't really call this narrator an idiot because it's the confidence of someone who knows they're wrong but is going to sell it like the truth. It's a con man. It's a, con, it's a confidence man. Yeah. Um, and that against someone who has no stage presence of a confidence man, but only has a five minute dissertation on, well, this is what dark matter is, or this is why climate change is a real incredible threat. Um, even, even shit like an inconvenient truth is mostly a PowerPoint but it does have a little bit of entertainment value to it. But even then it is mostly some watching someone give PowerPoint presentation. So we could credit an inconvenient truth for helping, but stuff like that is only going to appeal to the people who already agree with it. Right. It's you know what I mean? Embolden the base. Exactly. It is not. And, you know, we can get into, we don't have to get into, you know, big, uh, problems within the democratic party right now uh, mm-hmm. or even on the podcast but really the idea of not trying to win anyone over but only trying to make yourself come out on top right is has always been a problem in the intellectual community um and you know not to both sides it at all uh, but I do think that Randy understands the uh, the catch twenty two of all this. Is like, yeah, these people are right, but they're losing. I think what really makes this song, I think anyone could have done the first two thirds of this song. Yes, and then he gives you a twist, mm-hmm. uh, and it's kind of a meta twist uh, that he has the 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 person of faith with with a scientific background speak up mm-hmm. and say this basically this song is ridiculous this you're creating first, first off first off admitting that this is a song yes that this is what you're listening to is a recording uh which i think is brilliant yeah yeah and uh saying that uh this is all a song written by someone named randy who named randy newman <laughs> who is an atheist and a communist and believe and has these beliefs, which means that you, your existence in this piece is to be a straw man to say ridiculous things that can be knocked down at any point. Uh, And it's, I, when this happened, I was bowled over because it's, very rarely when songwriters kind of show their hand or show you how the sausage gets made. Yeah. Very rarely does it work, but this feels like such a post ironic 
uh, uh, tactic of we need to stop joking about these kinds of things and look at things how it really is. It feels like something only he could pull off as uh, hilarious and kind of touching as he does. Like, strip away the bombast, strip away uh, even the the character of the very meek scientists, and you have a real problem that this third party is finally, you know, speaking up about. And it's like, wow, that's brilliant just to, like, throw a rock at your own thesis statement and explode it with it from the inside. That comes back to you saying that this is a song about his songs. Yeah, this is a song about Randy Newman songs. This is a song about the concept of the unreliable narrator, which is his most, um, I don't say this is an insult at all. This is his most used uh, writing trope. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Is a writing through someone who he doesn't agree with, but you know, any, you know, person with common sense knows that that's where imagination comes from. It's not only uh, writing about things that you don't know about, but empathy and he shows a tremendous amount of basic empathy for people who you cannot stand or don't even want to look at that is remarkable to me. And by empathy, I, of course, don't mean sympathy, but it's phenomenal. Like, I was listening back to a lot of his stuff. I really love his 80s period, even though... Some of it is a bit hidden miss, uh-huh. but it's kind of overlooked. Uh, everything, in my opinion, past uh, Little Criminals. I think, that's, is that the name of the album? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything past Little Criminals kinds of, kind of gets overlooked, in my opinion. But there's some incredible stuff, like Trouble in Paradise is such a mean record. <laughs> it uh, really is. But, but I love it because he's... I love the song. Uh, what's the song about the, uh, the bar? Davy? Mikey's. Mikey's, thank you. Yeah. There's uh, the song Mikey's is just, this, this person, this dude runs into Mikey's and it's like, hey, I'm looking for my girlfriend. She, she ran away. And then he immediately starts bitching about what happened to Mikey's. Yeah. Like, oh, the bar used to be better. What's this music they're playing? Are we on the moon? Right. Um, it's it's amazing. And these are people that you are kind of programmed to hate. That, you know, sitcoms and movies and books have told us to hate these annoying or hateful people. But And through a less skilled writer, that's all you'd get out of it. Exactly. But he it but the, the guy in Mikey's is such an authentic voice. Yes. I've, I've been in the bar with this guy before. I've I've worked in bars with this guy before, and uh, on that same record, my life is good. Oh my god, that's just this self. That's like in my top five favorite songs of his. It's oh my god, I love that song so much. Uh, but but you know the empathy is there. Yeah, even towards a a slightly more exaggerated version of himself. Um which is great because he almost never writes songs that someone could call 
personal or autobiographical, but when he does, they are very pointedly autobiographical or they are so ridiculous and insane that of course the joke is that he's not like this in the real world. Like my life is good, which is an incredible song and a very funny song like Brand, like Bruce Springsteen saying, Rand, I'm tired. How come you, why don't you be the boss sometimes? <laughs> Shit that would never happen. <laughs> and to frame it around him, all, this song basically being told to a teacher at his son's school, it's, it's him, he starts shouting my life is good. And it almost stops becoming, it's, it stops being about defending himself and is more like defending his own life to himself. Yeah. He, he, he just comes across as so insecure by the end of it. Yes. Um, but yeah, I love his 80s stuff so much because he taps in to a kind of, broken masculinity on most of his songs, but I think especially in his 80s material that I think is very underrated. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a phrase going around Twitter right now, like, oh, we found a new kind of person. <laughs> like, we found a new kind of dude, and it's this dude with a weird, com- very specific complaint or a very specific way of talking or posting. And that's how I feel about something like the story of a rock and roll band, which is a, which is someone who's such a big fan of ELO, but knows absolutely nothing about the band. Is there anything factually correct in that song? There's like... <laughs> They're from Birmingham. He got that right. Yes. I'm like... The... I mean, you could just put it, uh, put the lyric, look at the lyrics, like he played the big violin and then he played the small violin. Right. Um, It's no, I think about 20% of that song is true. And then the rest is, is completely made up, but it speaks to this kind of, here's the best way I can describe it. Have you seen that show Joe Para talks with you? Uh, I saw the one about the who. Yeah, that's so. That's what yeah, I'm going to be referencing. It's that sh- that episode of the show has it, it's one of the best things I've ever seen on TV because he he a hundred percent nails the feeling of falling in love with something so hard and and ex- wanting to experience it over and over again and wanting everyone to be in love with it as much as you can. And that excitability is something that comes through on something like the story of a rock and roll band. Like these are annoying people, but their emotions are very real and their emotions are very relatable. Even if the things that they do are cruel, they are not without reason and they are not without explanation. And, uh, there's another songwriter that I like that really does this, uh, Dan Reader. I don't know Dan Reader. Dan Reader's great. He's the albums he's put out are on uh, Oh Boy Records, which is uh, John Prime's label. Okay. Um, 
I think if you love Randy Newman, you will like, you'll really like Dan Reader. Dan Reader writes about the id of, of the modern dude, the modern man. He writes about the fragile, hilarious, and sad masculinity of men in a way that no one else has been able to touch. Because some of the songs are really, there's like, he's got a song called food and pussy, uh, (laughs) which is a joke, which is a jokey song. Um, But then you have a song called I drink beer and it's framed around uh, a bunch of emasculated men getting together once a week and drinking beer and feeling like the best versions of themselves until they go home and have to go back to their lives uh, and their wives. Uh, But he nails the strange version of masculinity that permeates this country and this world, I think better than any songwriter. Uh, Please check him out. He's one of my absolute favorites. I will do that as soon as we're done here. Yeah. Anyway, we got really off track. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Sometimes the sometimes the wheels come off. Yeah. Um. So let, let's go back to this guy who challenges challenges Randy because um, and I, I'm just speaking from my personal experience here that that this this is the this is the guy that 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 I sympathize with the most. You know, mm-hmm. full disclosure. You know. I, you know, my wife is a retired Methodist minister. I am a scientist, and we've been trying to 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 teach scientific literacy, you know, in our church for twenty five years. Uh, a very a very noble cause. It's an uphill battle sometimes. No, I I get that, but it's it's a very noble cause. And and you know we're. We're, we're trying to tell people it's not this, this binary thing. You know, it's not this, I, I, I'm not here to, to defend the church, um, but, you know, you don't have to, to subscribe to, to something like this, this, this character, this Barker. And so, so we have this man who takes a stand. Mm-hmm. He takes a stand in front of, you know the the community of faith. He takes a stand in front of this MC, and and says it is way more complicated than than you're playing it up to be, and you're you're not. I, I'm projecting here, but you're not doing the faith any favors by giving this message that in order to accept the faith, you have to 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 blind your eyes to you know, very clear evidence. Correct. Uh, and I love the Barker's response because God, I can feel this in my in my uh, in my bones. He says, "Oh, we can knock you down, Mister. We can knock you down, Mister. We've been knocking people like you and Randy Newman down for years. It's like, yeah. nah, fuck you." <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'm I know that there are people that are way more persecuted than me. Yeah, but there is a level of contempt for people like me that some people in the church just reserve just extra levels of scorn for that we've somehow betrayed the church. I feel that uh, on a personal level. I mean, I grew up in Catholic school. Mm -hmm. I was in Catholic school from 
fourth grade till I graduated high school. Okay. Um, two different schools. Uh, but it was always weird going to school because you would have normal classes. You would have English class and you would have especially science class. And sometimes science class would be right next to uh, the theology class, which is a nice way of uh, saying that you're going to learn Catholicness uh, for an hour. Right. And you would just have every year you would, no matter what, uh, even in high school, you would just have this book that was made by a church filled with a bunch of kids smiling and, you know, riding bikes and everything. And around those Photoshop pictures, you would, it would be stuff like, it would be anti-evolution and it would be anti-gay marriage and it would be anti-gay people. Like I specifically remember in middle school reading something that said, Oh, it's okay if you're a homosexual, as long as you don't act on it. And I'm like, well, yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Why? It's so, it's all, it would be almost better if you just flat out hated me. You know what I mean? That would be a clearer message, yeah. Yeah, I'd rather, I would, in any case, in any situation in my life, it would be so much better if people were honest with me than trying to save face or trying to keep me as a friend or keep me close by half-lying to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it would be better if people were a bit more upfront, but... I think a lot of that is the pageantry that gets talked about in this song. A lot of that is is trying to uh, appear accessible and user friendly when in reality it is it's very tight knit. It's very insular. Not like this guy even knows his theology. No, I mean the 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 the, this song at the end is I I I first of all he's it's. You know, a rewriting of his song "Glory Train," which yeah is, is a reward for his, his, his the Randy Newman fans who stuck stuck with Faust and defended oh, Faust over the years. I but, could I could go on about Faust. I love Faust, but so much. Uh, Becky Warren is going to talk Faust in a couple of weeks. It's going to be a great episode. Hell yeah! I can't wait. Uh, but that he he does the the tune from "Glory Train" here to this. I don't want to sound like you know, a theological snob here, but this is a childish song. Yeah, it's a it's a Sunday school kind of hymn. Yeah. Someone is watching me. I know there's someone watching me everywhere I go, which, you know, when you say those words as a sentence, it sounds creepy, but, you know, religion. <laughs> <laughs> um, it takes a flavor there. And then it... And and then you know, he ends with a punchline. You know, we'll be back 10, 20, 15, 20, 25 minutes, depending on how the merchandise, merchandise is selling. It's, it's a great song. I, I don't even know what to say anymore. It's such a great song. It's, it's such a, a, it's a funny song. And it's, I find myself daily, no, not daily. Well, I find myself often having to defend my love of Randy Newman, uh, I get Which, it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I, I, did, I didn't start. I didn't start a podcast about it, but I'm getting there. But this, I, I don't know how you can't listen to this song and 
just from a literary point of view, just see how brilliant it is. From an academic point of view, it is a brilliant song. And it's weird to even call it a song because it feels like theater. Yes. More than anything. Um, and it makes me wish that, you know, Faust ended up being a bigger thing than it was because I could tell with stuff like Faust and stuff like The Great Debate that he really wanted to break into some kind of bigger thing than film score and the occasional singer songwriter album. Yeah. God, I love Faust so much. It's so good. It's so I, good. I, my, my fiance is a theater director, also a critic, also an actor and a teacher. He's actually teaching in the other room right now, uh, using the same technology we're using to record this. Um, because that's where the world is yep. at, at this point. Um, but I've historians should note that we're talking in the year 2020. You know, when, yes, when, when musicologists when, in a thousand years are studying this <laughs> podcast, that's an important historical context. Yeah, the before times. The before, <laughs> before the dark times. Before the dark times. But I remember I would often, when he's like looking for a new project to direct, I've often just kind of, hey, why don't you try Randy Newman's Faust? Just come on, just try it. Because I, be, for no other reason that I'm, very selfish and I want to see it happen. Yeah. And, you know, to not, you know, step on anyone else's songs or anything, but I just think dark matter is, and this might be a controversial stance. uh, I think dark matter is as good as any of the classic uh, albums um, in terms of his songwriting and in terms of his music. It is a hundred. I think it's as, I think it's comparable to sail away in terms of its ambition. Wow. And that's, you know, coming from someone who, no, I, I, I don't like to brag about a lot of things that I do, but I do know what I'm talking about when it comes to Randy Newman. And I will, and I will defend, I will defend the eighties albums to the death. And I will defend dark matter as being as good as the original, as some of the original stuff uh, to the death. I th- I think it's easy to look past the the the, the writing there and to to get caught up in you know, his, his voice having aged. Yeah, and it's weird because getting back to talking about defending him, he through no fault of his own, but through just like you know he's talked about like the Mad TV sketches and the Family Guy bits and yeah. you know it's. It's a it's an easy voice to goof on, but it's very easy to miss anything that he's saying. Like even "You've Got a Friend in Me" doesn't sound a hundred percent sincere, and I think he'll be the first person to tell you that. Like I remember I remember watching a documentary about him. This is great short little documentary called "I Am Unfortunately Randy Newman." That is a good one. It's great where he's talking about. Uh, you've got a friend in me. And he said, while I was writing it, it felt like I was like a used car salesman, like trying to make a deal. Like you've got a friend in me. No, you don't. Not really. (laughs) So the darkness has always been there and the darkness has never left, but I feel like his empathy has grown stronger and the softness has been able to peek through a little bit more than usual. 
because the album begins with this huge theatrical joke and then it ends with Wandering Boy, which destroys oh. me every oh, time really? I listen to it. Because it's a song about someone getting lost in their own story and realizing that the person they're talking about that isn't there is still not out there, is still out there. And he gets lost inside his own mind and starts thinking about where he could be. It's like we've, we've all been in situations where you watch someone tell a story and the expression on their face changes when they get to a part of the story that reminds them of something else. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know how you can convey that in a song, but he found a way. And that's why I love Rain. Well, it's time to spin the wheel, Al. All right. What is this? All right. We've got 100 songs randomized. Can you see that on your screen? Cool. Yep. And whatever one it lands on, we'll do a cold listen if you're not caught up on it or we can just talk about it. Uh, it's right. time to spin the wheel of Randy. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. All right. Uh, stop. Okay, we got take some me back. songs. Just take me back. This is off of Trouble in Paradise. Okay, so I should remember this. Okay, do you want a refresher? Yes, I would. All right, let's pull that up. And audience, uh, take a few minutes to listen to Take Me Back off of Trouble in Paradise, and we will be right back. Bet my money on a bobtown drag all the mm. do day. And we're back. <laughs> All right, take me back. You know, we've got once again a, a, a once again a character that is empathetic, if not sympathetic, like you said. Yes. Uh, this was a. This felt like a a test of me saying that I loved the 80s stuff, and it's like, oh, do you like the really 80s stuff? Let's throw some more synth your way and see what happens. Yeah. Um, God, it's a great song. Oh, that's a funny song. It's a song that doesn't become brilliant until, like, the last verse. Uh, Truly brilliant until the last verse. Um, God, that's so funny. It's... I love it. I love songs like his where it is a character having a conversation with someone and then halfway through the conversation, the character has remembered why they're in a conversation with this person and they don't like it. <laughs> yes. He's, he, he's getting so caught up in, 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 in bragging about himself. Uh, and he, and he gets to this highlight where he did well at Stanford and then it's like, Oh crap. <laughs> a lot of good it did me. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Why why am I asking you to take me back again? <laughs> oh. I, I love the, the, the visual of him, him being uh, by the airport. You know Andy Kindler has this joke about uh, uh extended stay hotels are are, are just 
you know, trial separation in and sweeps. <laughs> this is true. Like, oh yeah, I've got a great new place. It's right. It's right off the highway. <laughs> it's right. It's it's right on the airport. So for some reason, that him bringing up the airport reminded me of uh, that Lonely Island song, uh, Diaper Money. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh my God. It's so, it's this hardcore rap song about uh, slowing down and and domesticity. Uh, uh, In the last, in Sandberg's, Andy Sandberg's verses, I've got that grave plot. It's right off the highway. (laughs) And he's already got his grave picked out and his coffin and it's made of cardboard and it's right off the highway. (laughs) Nice. <laughs> so that just reminded me of of weird misplaced pride. <laughs> uh, uh, God, Trouble in Paradise is a great album. It really is. I I think that I think that I Love L.A. can get so misused. Yeah. So people can get so saturated with it that it's hard to hard to move on from that but even the singles even the hits are so dark and so this is a this is a this is a bitter angry uh album and i wonder what he was going through while making this album let's see i know he divorced in 85 this album was like 83 i want to say gotcha so maybe things were falling apart. This isn't a Randy gossip podcast, but yeah, I right. conjecture. Um, as a musician, let me ask you: what throws me off about this song is the horns. So okay, so continue. Um, you know, you talked about how you know this was definitely in eighties, and you know it's you know synth heavy. Uh, the these horns, I'm not sure what he's going for there. I don't know if that was just a product of the times that people would 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 throw a, a, a gratuitous sax or, or some, some some horns where where we normally wouldn't see them today, or, or what? You know, it, it's not a Dixieland feel. You know, it's not you know the horns of you know his roots. I, I, I just don't get where he's going with that. No one, why don't you so you're talking. So you're talking to the foremost expert on Oingo Boingo. So I'm going to defend horns in any situation, All no right, matter what. Uh, horns rule, and I think the use of this of the saxophone in this song can be seen as either satirical or sincere. It can be seen as ironic, like. This kind of feels like a, you know how Weird Al would do songs on his albums that are not direct parodies of a song, but are more pastiche of an artist? Sure, sure, like Pancreas, which is probably yeah. my favorite of his, yeah. Yeah, the Brian Wilson Smile uh, pastiche. This feels like a pastiche of a Jimmy Buffett song. Well, he's got like, the tropical shirt on the album cover. There. Yeah, this like this song doesn't feel like an insult to Jimmy Buffett, whom I also love and will probably get beaten up for saying that. Uh, but it feels like kind of uh, this upbeat uh, island-ish 
uh, soft rock song about a really pathetic, lonely dude. And that's incredible to me. Like, juxtaposition like that is really great. I think the saxophone's needed. I think it's meant to elevate the ridiculousness of what he's actually saying. Okay. I will listen to it with fresh ears there. <laughs> like, I also listen to, like, I'm just doing a bunch of name-dropping of influences, but I also listen to a lot of They Might Be Giants, who are probably one of my top three favorite bands. And sure. the the way that they would juxtapose uh, pretty dour and uh, disturbing lyrics with some incredible uh, pop uh, melody creation uh, has always been a big thing for me even as a young age so I think because of that I uh, was drawn to Randy Newman I was drawn to someone playing this beautiful song this piano piece and then he opens his mouth and it's the song uh, it's a song about uh, a slave trader or a sexual predator or someone who hates with someone with a weirdly aggressive hatred of short people. Um, it's brilliant. It's, it's always been brilliant. And I don't think there are many missteps, even the stuff that he considers missteps, I think are charming. The, like, uh, the like born again has really been growing on me lately. Same. Like really born has. again is a great album. Uh, he's, but, but he talks about that album cover a lot. And he said that it was one of his biggest mistakes, uh, I remember him saying in that documentary, or it's like, it presumes that people know who you are when really to the, to the average person on the street, you're just some asshole and kiss makeup. And to the average person on the street, this is your sophomore album. Yes. Little criminal sold. And now here's the response. Yeah. Huh? All right, Al, we've got one more thing to do, and that's called This Week's Cover. This week's cover. Normally, I, I recommend a cover of the song that, that, that our, our, our guest has recommended. I can't imagine anyone who's done the great debate. So let me leave this up to you. What is... What is a what's a Randy Newman cover that that you like or that that you find really intriguing? I might go. I might just go with. And I don't know if anyone's gone to this album uh, in the past yet. Possibly they have uh, the Nilsson sings Newman album. Uh, I've brought it up once. Yeah, um, it's a gorgeous uh, album. It's an incredible album, and I'm a huge Harry Nilsson fan yeah. as well. Um, it is jaw-droppingly uh, beautiful and minimalistic and great. I think the one that I want to point out is Cowboy. Good one. Because the original version, which is on Randy Newman's first album, already sounds pretty lonely and desolate, mm. but still has that huge uh, orchestral swell near the beginning and the uh, near the uh, middle and the end. Cowboy opens with just vocals and the sound of wind blowing. 
Yeah. Like it, it, it is, it's probably the most broken, uh, sounding that Harry Nilsson has ever sounded. That's the most, the kind of hollowed out emptiness. And then the piano comes in and they don't try to replicate the orchestral sweeps at all. It's just, uh, some, another layered vocal comes in and then the end has that little uh, synthesizer or whatever, that little clavicle. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That pretty Almost little... Almost like a harpsichord going Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Um, I think of that cover a lot. I think it's one of the best things that either of them have ever had a, uh, had a hand in doing. God, I just... I, I think after I'm done with this podcast, I'm just going to put on... Uh, Nelson sings Newman and just lay back and remind myself, oh, wow, this is one of the best albums ever made. It really, really, really is. Al, thank you so much for coming today. To remind people how they can get the record and let people know how they can get hold of you on social media. Yeah, uh, so you can go to alrigs.bandcamp.com and uh, uh, click on the thing that says Bile and Bone and listen to some songs or uh, buy it. And you can also stream it on uh, some of the usual places, uh, pointedly not Amazon.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as uh, Al Riggs Music OK. Uh, you can find me on Instagram called It's Al Riggs, everyone. And uh, I, think, I think I'm just Al Riggs Music on Facebook. And uh, got a lot of stuff in the works, but uh, really just happy to be talking about Randy Newman right now. This was this was a lot of fun. I was a little nervous, but this was uh this was a whole lot of fun and I really appreciate you asking me to be on here. You did great and thank you for thank you for making the choice that you did. That that's a tough song and it, it took someone with, with your passion about it to make that work. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. Y'all be sure to follow Al on Twitter. They post funny stuff, they do good retweets, really, really good follow. All right, that's it. Thank you very much, Al. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that's it for another week here at Wheel of Randy. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network. Thanks to Matt Fraley for our theme song. You can find Matt's music at moternmedia.com. That's M-O-T-E-R-N. Thanks to Brian Mays for our artwork. Best way to reach Brian is on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. The background music we're listening to right now is Rock and Gravel by Sid Valentine's Patent Leather Kids. And I'm using it because it's public domain. Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering. That's me. That's what I do during the day. I am a water and sewer engineer. I'm registered in Oklahoma and Texas. I'll register in your state if you ask nicely enough. Most of what I do is small town water and sewer engineering, but I specialize in hydraulic modeling. I build computer models for water systems, and that can help you plan your water systems more efficiently, and it can also help you with your homeowner's insurance. If you're a city official, you need a water model. Wade Engineering can be reached at 405-426-7634, and we would be happy to talk to you. We'll see you next week. Bye.
It's Wheel of Randy.